The Lord says, if you want me, I'm here. But it will cost you your fear. It will cost you your doubt. It will cost you everything, as it has cost me. He says this because of the times that we're in. For times do change. He doesn't change, but circumstances do. And the time in which we are in and entering into has a cost to it that is a heavier burden than it was before. But along with that, there is his manifest presence that is different than before. We look in John chapter 14 and Jesus told his disciples that you will do more than I did. Now clearly he was being prophetic because they never did. In fact, since Jesus walked the earth, there have never been miracles seen like when Jesus was alive as a man on this earth. And yet he said, you will. So understand that times do change. There is that time coming where he will manifest himself in a way that will be seen in great measure, but there is great cost to that. Many of you know what I'm talking about because you have paid the cost. You've paid the price. You continue to pay the price. I could tell you from this end of it, it's a joy to pay that price. I'm not saying it's a joy to go through some of the things that we have to go through. I have never felt more alive, more excited, more passionate more in tuned with my Father than I do right now. And it is simply a process of saying yes to Him every moment of every day and believing what He says. That's why He said that the, to believe Him, to hear Him, to be next to Him, it will cost you your fear because you cannot fear and pursue him at the same time. It doesn't work. That fear will always keep you from him. That fear will keep you from seeing the very steps that you need to take to be close to him. Because, see, that fear is a spirit, and it's not a spirit from God. Sometimes we mask caution with fear. I'm not saying don't be cautious. <laughs> Although caution can be a mixed term. Because I think many times what we term as caution is really fear. Really doubt. If the Lord tells you to do something that is out of the norm, it is very natural to doubt. But guess what? He's not looking for natural. If you're happy with natural, 
then you're in trouble as we move forward in these days. And I'm not talking about just here. I'm talking about all over the world. Because times are changing. There is a readiness of his bride that is here. It is upon us even now. There's a cost to that. Now, one person's cost may not be the same as the others. Because all of us are different members of the same body and have different functions of the same body. But I can tell you this. It will be just as difficult for you as the other person. Because when God prepares us for something in our lives, he equips us for that very thing. So, so for me to step in faith and in, a, in a certain way and someone else to step in faith in a certain way, they may be, may be two different levels of faith, but they are accomplishing the same thing. Does that make sense? God gives you what you need to accomplish what he asks, which means faith and the ability to cast out fear. Right? To hold every thought captive, not to give fear any kind of space in our minds. And, and I'll tell you, fear creeps in so easily because we're taught to think logically. As Americans, we're taught to think in specific ways of provision and, and all these types of things. And so, when God asks you to do something that's kind of opposite of that, which we've seen, all, everybody who went to Nigeria has experienced that. Even still, today, experiences that. But it's that fear that tries to stop you from realizing what God really wants. From realizing His plan. And I'll tell you what, when you step in that faith, when you fight doubt and you step in the faith, by the way, that's the only way to break doubt. You can't hold doubt captive. Have you ever tried? I mean, you can hold the thought captive. I will not think about it. I will not think about it. And then you find yourself doubting. No, I'll tell you, there's only one way to break doubt. It's to step in faith. That's the only way. It is an experiential way of overcoming something that comes against you. Right? You have doubt on something that the Lord's telling you to do or doubt on how it's going to play out. You know it's Him telling you, but you, you have doubt on maybe the how it's going to look or how is this, how's that. The only way to face that doubt is to step in that, in that faith and just do it. And that's the tough part. So I want to encourage you because we've been saying it for a long time. Time is here. Time is now. And things are not going to look the same coming here very shortly. And he wants you to be a part of this. And, and not just I'm not just talking to the people here. I'm talking about the people online talking about everybody who will hear this voice even afterwards. When you are presented with the opportunity of moving forward with him, he wants you to move, but it must be in faith. Bottom line. So I want to tell you a little bit about what's been going on. Um, 
we've had a few court cases. I uh, want to give you an update on that, and then, then uh, I, I think it's going to transition into a word. We'll see. But last week, not, not this past few days last week, but last week before was pretty special. We entered a new court for the first time ever. We've never experienced it before. Um, and that was the Court of Restitution. I think, I think we had been in what I thought was Court of Restitution, but it was not. This was very different. Unless, unless perhaps it's broken down into two types, I, I don't know. But this court that we went into was, was very specific. Everything was completely white. Um, it was not where you face a foe, if you will, uh, necessarily like, like in the Court of Nations is, you know, this back and forth stuff. There's no back and forth stuff in the Court of Restitution. And it's also not a place we found out you can ask to go. It is not available upon request. I specifically asked that. When we were done, I'm thinking, oh, awesome. Can we just ask to get back in there for this, 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 and this? All these things that have been stolen. He said, no. He said, I just bring you here. So it's all upon his timing. It's upon his will. But he took us there because of something that had been stolen. Stolen from ignition. And he gave, and, and it was this key. Now, I don't begin to know what this key means or what, what it represents, but it was a key that the enemy had stolen to unlock places to bring doubt, to, to bring fear, even in a slight way. And what God did in extracting that key back from the enemy, he fashioned a new key. He gave one to Anissa, and he gave one to Ignition. And he said, in this new key, it's a master key. In this master key, it will not only unlock the one, you know, your own heart and that sort of thing, but a master key unlocks all. Right? And, and this was for the purpose of fighting the very sorrow, the very hopelessness that is in the world. So I just wanted to briefly briefly tell you about that, but then let's fast forward a week <laughs> to this past Thursday and Friday. Okay, Thursday was such an awesome day. There have been a few times that that we've dealt with Satan directly in, in the courts, and uh, um, Thursday was one of them. We've gotten to the point where, where the Father brings, a, he, he demanded our faith to walk into the court of nations without knowing even the spirits that we would be dealing with because he wanted to purely just speak through us. And, and so that, that's what we have done. So we go in Thursday evening and we go in and the doors open, this accuser comes or I, I assumed it would be the accuser because that's who I called to come forward. Whatever spirit we were to deal with that night uh, over the continent of Africa, this was going to be the fifth, 
fifth spirit, I think. Yeah, no, fourth, fourth spirit. And we had an idea, maybe, maybe it was oppression. But in walks this guy in a suit with, with hair back. And, and I, I thought to myself immediately, I thought, that's either this representative guy that we know, or that's Satan. And so I asked Carrie, I said, Carrie, tell me what color is his suit? She said, white. I knew immediately who it was. I said, his hair's black, right? Yes. He looks Spanish, right? Yes. Because that's his persona. That's what he likes to be seen as. Well, I felt the father. I felt his, I don't know how to express it. I, I, I couldn't contain my, my feelings on this. I just felt his boiling anger. And when he came up to the stand, I asked the Lord if I could just speak. The Lord said yes. So I figured he knew what I was going to say. So if he didn't want me to say it, he would stop me. And I just, I just told the, the court how offended I was that he would come in this persona. Because I have seen his true form. And it's nothing like that. His true form is pathetic. It's, uh, I won't even go into it, but... So I, I argued that he should not be able to have this persona in court. And, and the father answered by saying, we take that into account, and for now we'll allow it. Okay, well, I said my piece. I, I at least felt that I said the father's heart. So, so basically we start into this, and, and, I, and I, said, I said, why are you here? Not talking to him directly, but I said it through the court. And, and he had come to argue the past three that had already been done. He, he said, he said they, they didn't represent well, and, and, you know, he basically just downed them and slammed them. And I objected. I said, no. I said, they're already done. I said, that has already been called, that has already been a verdict given, and they are already paying a price. So what else are you here for? And the father, you know, put his gavel down, agreed with that, forced him to say what he was there for, and he was there to represent the next ones, because apparently he felt he could do better than what they could do. So then in walked in this spirit of oppression. And I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but uh, I can tell you this. And this is, this is the point that I want to make. It isn't really that hard to fight the enemy. Let God do it. Because all the enemy has to do is open his mouth. That's literally all he has to do. Because when he speaks, he condemns himself. Do you know when you are fighting something personally, you know it's the enemy. It won't leave you alone. Go before the Lord and say, Lord, listen to his words. He's telling me not to believe you. He's telling me that this is, you know, what I'm doing or this is what I should be doing. I know it's not you. 
So just like we do in court, go to the Lord and say, these are his words. Judge him by them. And he will. It's so, it's just the simplest thing in the world. And that's what happened basically with this spirit. And so it was done. That was Thursday night. And we went to the ready room afterwards and, and just talked for a bit. But the Lord, Lord again told me, I'm not going to tell you anything about tomorrow night. Except for this. Because because we had three spirits left. And so we thought, okay, we know one's a dual spirit and then one was just a single spirit. And we said, okay, so so tomorrow night will be one of those. And then next Thursday then, which is this coming next Thursday, then we'll finish up Nigeria, right? I'm thinking in my mind, I'm, I'm just, I know we're going to finish up Nigeria before the team goes back to, to, or not just Nigeria, but it's all of Africa. And he said, well... What would you think of just finishing them up tomorrow night? We're like, yeah, we would love to do that. Yes. And I know for those of you online, especially if you don't know us, this may not make sense, but that's okay. Just go watch all the past things and you'll catch up. So we said, yes. We would love to finish Africa tomorrow night. So we go the next night, and we know that now we're going to be dealing with three spirits effectively. And I can't remember if it was Thursday or Friday that the Lord said this to Satan, but I think it was Thursday when he, when he represented. He said, he said, if you choose to stay, you will not run away again. If you remember toward the beginning of, of the, the American one, he ran away and hid. He said, if you choose to stay, you will not run away again. And he did. He chose to stay. So the, the next one, we had three spirits come up, right, come in. And he was supposedly... Representing them. <laughs> Except, honestly, all he did was irritate God. His, his pride just doesn't allow him to even be cordial. He just irritated God. God finally said, you will not speak again. I will simply have the prosecution lay everything forward, and then I will give my, <laughs> give my verdict. Satan couldn't even talk after that. And then at the end of that, and all three were gone. So all of Africa was completely finished in this case. And then at the end, the father says this. He said, and Satan, you will be at every court case for the rest of them. His presence will be demanded at every court case. Because each time one of these spirits is bound and cast the leash that goes from Satan's wrist to that spirit becomes a ball, becomes a weight. The leash stays, and everything that that spirit did becomes a weight. So the further we progress, you can imagine the weight that Satan is going to be carrying around with him. And it just, just blows me away what God is doing in this. So,
Let me back up a second. And this leads me into the next thing I need to tell you about. We have had a lot coming against this church. Right? We've had a lot coming against us. We've had a lot coming against our families. Just in in sickness, I mean, in warfare, in all types of things, whether you call it, you know, preliminary before something or retaliatory after something, it doesn't really matter. It's just kind of this ongoing stuff, right? But it, but it has seriously ramped up the last couple of weeks, especially since the Nigerian team came back here. And so Wendy had asked the Lord, or the Lord had told her we're going to be doing a fast at some point, and I don't know how long ago he told you that, a couple of weeks ago or whatever. Hmm? Okay, so almost a month ago. But she didn't know when it was coming up. So Friday night in the ready room, she asked, she said, you've been telling me about this fast coming up, and, you know, when will you tell me? What is it about, and when will it be? And he said, I'll let you know before Sunday. Okay, that's a day and a half. Well, Wendy texted me this morning. Thank you, by the way, for not texting me when he actually told you at four in the morning. She waited till six in the morning to text me. Appreciate that. (laughs) But she texted me this morning and she said that the, that the Lord spoke to her and told her when and what this, this fast would be. This fast is this week. It is a three day fast. It will begin Wednesday morning and end Saturday morning. Or if you want to put it this way, it just has to go through the worship night. So if you want to begin your fast Tuesday night and then be able to eat after the, after the worship night, that's fine. But it has to go all the way through the worship night on Friday night. What this is specifically for, and Wendy, you could correct me if I'm wrong, What this is specifically for is to fight against what is being coming against us. Now, is that correct? I take that as present and future. Not just what's been coming against us currently and we'll get rid of that and then have to move on and fight some more. I think this is establishing something in all this retaliation. And the Lord gave her some verses to go through. First of all, he told her to read the whole book of Esther, which we're not going to do quite that this morning. (laughs) But um, I do want to encourage you to do that. Read the book of Esther. But I do want to, she had a few verses that she laid out that, that the Lord laid out to her that were high points of what was said. And I want you to turn to Esther, chapter 3, and I'm just going to read a couple of verses and then a main point. Chapter 3, verse 8 says this, Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people. 
and they do not keep the king's laws, so that it is not the king's profit to tolerate them. Now recognize here who the king was. The king was not a king of Israel. This, this was a pagan king. Okay? Now let's go down to chapter 4 and verse 3. And in every province where the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes because of what was decreed that had to happen in terms of the worship. Okay, now we're going to go down to verse 12 of chapter 4. And, and, and for those of you who know the story of Esther, Esther was a queen. She was a queen among many, and, and, but she was a Jew, right? And her husband, the king, did not even know that. But basically she was placed in a situation where she had to step in faith. And that faith would cost her everything. It cost her her fear. It cost her her doubt. Because in stepping, it could have cost her her very life. But let's read, um, starting at verse 12, and, and you guys know the story. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. When Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. That was what was on her plate right then. Her choice was to speak up for her people, God's chosen people, or to be silent and hopefully live herself. Verse 15. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink, For three days, night or day, I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. This shows the importance of a fast. This shows the importance of dedicating yourself to that breakthrough. What is the the breakthrough that we're talking about? God's will. God's will in our lives. We, We pray for the falling of the Holy Spirit. By the way, I don't believe, and everything kind of commingles anyways, but Wendy, correct, correct me if I'm wrong. The Lord didn't tell you this fast was for the falling of the Holy Spirit, correct? This was for the enemy. Just like what Esther was saying there, that there was a vulnerability and the enemy was taking advantage of it. 
That's what's happening to us right now. That's what's been happening to us. There is a vulnerability because of what God is doing and we are pursuing in the courts in obedience to him, in full faith to him, it has placed targets on our families, on us. We know what's been going on, right? So this fast is for that very thing. I want you to turn another passage that was given to Wendy is Isaiah chapter 58. And I'm going to read the, the whole thing. The whole chapter is interesting because it talks about what a wrong fast is at the beginning. But I'm going to begin at verse 6. And she said the Lord impressed on her verses 6 to 9 were, were the highlight of this. And I might stop at 9 or I might keep going. We'll see. Verse 6 of chapter 58. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness. To undo the straps of the yoke. To let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? And bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call. And the Lord will answer. You shall cry. And he will say, here I am. I know that there are people in here that are struggling struggling with the waiting Struggling with what seems to be this round after round after round after round of battle. But I need you to understand something. God needs you to understand something. The battle's not going to end. It'll be just like Trump said. It'll be victory after victory after victory after victory after victory after victory after victory victory until you are starting to feel sick of having victory. Right? Isn't that what he said? I don't think I'll ever feel sick of having victory. But you know what? You can't have victory without the battle. It, it, It can't be like Yeah, I want that victory, but I'm not getting on the battlefield for that. Now, see, there's even a difference when you are the tip of the spear. The tip of the spear plows new ground. The tip of the spear has to go and fight the very things that nobody else has to. I mean, we literally fight for the purpose 
of moving forward other people. Does that make sense? So, so in this battle, it requires faith. But in this battle, it requires something else. It requires us to understand what the promise is. It requires us to understand what the promise is. Do you remember last week we talked about the fact that that the children of Israel that came out of Egypt, they didn't understand the promise. They, They saw it, they saw glimpses of it, they saw the fruit of it, but they never saw it as theirs. You remember that? We have to see these as ours. We have to see this readying of the bride as our promise. Not just that, yeah, one day that's going to happen. No, that's mine. That's mine. God has called me to that. God has called me to be a part of that. I have to see it as mine to be willing to even walk without fear. Walk without doubt. You have to see what he is offering you as yours. I want you to turn to Joshua chapter 1. Now remember, when the children of Israel first went out of the, of the uh, land of Egypt, You know, God took them a different way because he knew that they would be afraid. He knew that if they saw war right away, they would turn around. So he took them a different way, and he took them in ways that that he would show his power. And he showed his power in, I mean, right away, in literally destroying the Egyptian army, right? He showed that. He also showed his power in leading them. How? In the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. He showed them in providing food for them. He showed them in providing water for them. He showed them in providing everything. Finally get them to the place where they get to see the promise. See the fruit. But what they paid attention to more were the giants. What they paid attention to more was the enemy that they would have to fight on the battlefield. And we know what happened. Then they didn't do it. You know, two of the witnesses, yes, we'll go. And the other said no. And, and the people went with them. And it was, I mean, one of the saddest things, I think, in Israel's history. And so they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness, lesson after lesson after lesson after lesson. Knowing full well that no matter what they do, they will never be offered again the promise that they had before. Those that were of age and that could fight then. So 40 years go by and now you have Caleb and Joshua as as the two leaders that were allowed to stay. They were now... They were now Old men, right? They were probably, I'm going to guess, I, I, I don't even know how old they were before, but they were, weren't they 40 before and now they're 80 or something like that? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, 
Nothing against my dad. Okay, but my dad's 79. Can you imagine, dad, being 79, and now you're just beginning the process of going into a land to conquer the land? You know, you can imagine they could have had every excuse in the book. But they were excited. They have been waiting for this promise for 40 years. They couldn't wait to go. And so Joshua is put in charge of everything. And, and this first, uh, what is it, first 10 verses or so, first nine verses of Joshua 1. Man, if you could put anything in your heart going into a battlefield, it needs to be these nine verses. Verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that your soul... And it, now he is going and he is reiterating the promise. He is... It's, the promise was already established. He is just reminding Joshua, this is the promise. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. Not, I will give to you. Do, you. do you get the difference there? He's saying, guys, it's yours. It's yours. If I told you, if I gave you an address of a house, a really nice house, $10 million house. And I gave you the deed to that. You saw in the deed that it's your name. And it's all yours. And you got there and you saw somebody else living there. But you knew it was yours. You knew in whom gave it to you. What would you do? That's the difference from the first group to the second group. Joshua saw this as, ooh, no, no, no. Get out. That's ours. By the living God, that is ours. So every, every sole of your foot will tread upon, I have already given to you, just as I promised to Moses. Verse 4. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. Get this, verse 5, no man, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. That's an extraordinary statement. Why? Because Joshua was a big Samson? No. It's because he believed in the first place. He believed 40 years earlier. He paid a price for 40 years for somebody else's Sin of decision. You see? He was already eager. And the father said, no man will stop you. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Then he goes into a charge that you guys have to embrace. You have to embrace this. You can't escape the battlefield. And to go on to the battlefield, you have to embrace this. Verse 6, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. 
Only be strong and very courageous. Being careful to do according to the, all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. See, God was showing Joshua the promise. Joshua, he had already received that in his heart. To him, that land was his and his people's. And these other people were on there unlawfully. That was already in his heart. But the father is saying, be strong and courageous because there's going to be times where you're going to have to step in this faith and the enemy's going to bring fear. The enemy's going to bring doubt. I can tell you, I, I mean, that's, well, I won't go there. He was also telling him that there's a continued cost. There's a continued cost to walking in the Father's way, to walking in his will, to stepping onto that land, to owning that land, keeping that land. He said, you got to listen to me. All those things I gave Moses, you got to pay attention. You got to literally build relationship with me so so you could stay close to me, otherwise it's going to get stolen. See, God's will never changed for the children of Israel. When they were taken off that land, when they when they had been taken into captivity and and literally were not on that land for over two thousand years. It wasn't because God took the land away from them. It wasn't because of that. It was because they did not adhere to what God told Joseph or Joshua right here. Obey me. Stick close to me. Build relationship with me. Know who I am. Listen to my voice. Hear what I tell you to do. Hear the love that I have for you. Verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is, is written in it. Now understand, we have so much more than what he had. I mean, do you understand we're in a position that, that Joshua was not in? He had... He had the book of the law. He had the the Torah. He had the five books. He didn't have 66 books like we do. He didn't have a historical book that showed what Jesus Christ did as the Son of God coming and becoming a man and living a sinless life. He didn't have all that that we have that we have today. He didn't have the promised Holy Spirit that would work in the life of a Christian, of a believer, when he would let him, or when she would let him. He didn't have that. We do. So why would there be any less expectation of us 
than there was of him. Just the opposite. There'd be more. Now, it's not about that we are to adhere to everything that was written in the law of Moses. Because Jesus came and completed that. There is no longer need for sacrifice. Because his blood paid that price. But there, there is the expectation. There is the expectation of relationship. Because it's available to us. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus paid that price. And it's available to us. So what is then available to us is expected of us. And I can tell you this, when you build relationship with Jesus, all of a sudden you find yourself recognizing things that keep you away from him. Those movies that I used to watch. I used to be really into horror movies. Anything to be afraid. Because they weren't real scary, they were just normally dorky. But that was like the thing, okay, go watch a scary movie and don't be afraid through it. You know, the Lord told me pretty quickly how that is damaging to my relationship with him. How about the little things on TV that you see? You know, I'm not here to tell you what's right and wrong. I'm telling you, pursue relationship with him. He'll tell you. He'll show you what gets in the way. Because Satan is not a creative guy. He uses the same things over and over again. He uses things that really draw our senses. That's why he uses film. He uses music. Oh my goodness. Music's such a big one. And I, I used to... That was probably the hardest one that the Lord had to just gently deal with me on. Because... You know, the, I, I, I'm a classic rock guy, right? No. Yeah. Yeah, this bebop junk that you guys do, I'm pretty bebop. sure that is not of the Lord anyway. I'm kidding. But the, but the point was, and I'm not saying all the music's bad or anything. I'm not saying any of that. What I'm saying is, if you're pursuing the Lord, he's going to show you. He's going to show you what may be a problem for you and not for somebody else. Because of what you have let your heart out for. That's, that's not for anybody else to say. Now, there are things that are pretty obvious. You know. I mean, the, the scripture is pretty, pretty clear on it. You know, if you're married, don't have an affair. Kind of clear. I don't have to ask God about that one. You know, going getting drunk. Don't have to ask God about that one. It's, it's really clear there. There are things that are clear. But as you're building a relationship with the Lord, there is what we would call this gray area that to God isn't gray. Because when we go after him in relationship, he'll begin to just show. Oh man, if you really want to grow to that next step in intimacy with with me, then let's look at this here. Let's, Let's talk about this here. 
And it may not even be that the thing is bad. It, it may just be what you see it as and what you've given your heart to in it as. Right? And music, like I said, music's a big one with that. <coughs> but through the whole process, that's why you have to be strong and courageous. Because, see, there will be things that you step into, even in building your relationship with him, that he's going to allow to be in front of you as a battle. You can't be afraid of the battle. Know who your victor is. Oh, my goodness. I'm telling you, the enemy is afraid of him. Satan is so afraid of him. I, I, I just can't even explain to you the fear. I was talking to the Lord afterward, and, and just he and I, and, I, and I'm just commenting to him about how, how just Satan just seems so afraid. And he used one word. He said he's desperate. He's desperate. Because you know what? Fear magnified brings desperation. And that's where he's at. Because he knows in the cycle of all these spirits in these locales all over the globe that are going to be bound, he knows what happens next. Right? His time is coming. His time is coming. And by the way, just in closing, and I'm going to have Alexis come up here, um, I do want to mention one other thing um, that, that will just help in understanding the courts and what, what we're doing in these court of nations. It doesn't mean when, like, those seven spirits that were bound and, and cast and, and whatever, stripped of authority in America, it doesn't mean that that spirit does not exist here in America. I mean, wouldn't it have been awesome if it did? But it doesn't. Of course it doesn't. I want you to picture it like this. If you have an army that you're fighting, and you kill its generals, you cut off its head, you cut off the leadership, the army isn't dead. The army's still there. They still have their tanks. They still have their guns. They still have their weapons, they still have their training, they still have all that. But what you've just taken away from them is their communication, their leadership, their organization. So what happens is they become in disarray. And in that disarray, they'll lash out, which is what we're seeing. But recognize that in that first step of clearing the leadership, then we will go back, and the Lord has told us that we will go back and we will start pinpointing areas. And we will take land. We will take processes. And they will not be as strong to resist because their leadership is gone. Does that make sense? Okay, I just wanted that to make sense. Go ahead and come on up, Alexis. Yeah. Um, about the fast, is it specific? Like, church-wide, we're all fasting the same thing? It, it, um, 
I don't know. I, I would refer to, we'll talk about that afterward um, uh, as far as the type of fast, because I want really Wendy to comment on that. She's the one that heard from the Lord. I know what the Lord's told me. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll go from there on that. I love that he used Joshua. Whoops. Sorry. I love that he used Joshua because, you know, in Joshua 3, it was where you hear the famous line, if you know the word, that says, Consecrate or purify or sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And we are expectant to see that and to, um, to just know what God is doing. But the verses that the Lord laid on Wendy's heart in Isaiah 58, it was actually initially started at 1. The emphasis was on 6 through 9. But I just want to add those additional scriptures there because this is a really important charge for any time that we pray but, and fast, but especially now. This is... This essentially starts as the true and false worship. So I wanted to start in verse 2. They act so, and I'm in the New Living right now. There's a couple of updates in that, so it may be a word or two off if you have this translation. In verse 2 it says, they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf pretending they want to be near me. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves, and you don't even notice it. I'll tell you why, is what the Lord says. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere. You humble yourselves by going through motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? No. This is the kind of fasting I want. And, of course, Greg went on to read that about the the actual sacrifice of the people. What he is saying here is coming with a true heart of surrender. The last thing you want to do, much like communion, much like in Joshua 3, where he says consecrate, purify. It's like coming in in the form of communion before the Lord. Don't take it lightly. Don't join in to what you think is a human mandate of the church. To go through the motions of fasting with your actual heart and level of surrender disengaged. This is a really important thing because, you know, it's interesting. The Lord reminded me that what happens at sometimes at these seminars that are, um, you know, let's say you go to a, a conference for healthy eating or weight loss or something. You can get all into it, rah, rah, take all the notes, even stand up and do cheers if it's a motivational thing. And that's wonderful. And you may feel unity in that moment. But the only benefit you will have from what's being talked about in the Lord or in the in the the weight loss and in the transformation is to the degree that you go home and with each step you take, you make those individual choices. Right. You can be as raw as you want. If you go home and are not following, you know, not involved in any way, 
the reality of how much you actually believed is just going to show. It just shows. That's, that's where those verses about God, don't be deceived because God will never be mocked. His ways are such that whatsoever a man sows in his life through intimacy, purity, prayer, fasting, it will reap. It will show. Um, it's, it's an interesting thing. Much, there's, a, there's a human realm parallel to things that teach us spiritual lessons. Closet, closet partakers of things, whether it be a, anything, any kind of an, an addiction. Like I said, it, it's different for everyone. It does manifest in a life. People think that when something's done in secret, that it will not show. And it just does. You do carry around the sum total of your decisions in life. That is a reality. And so be careful before a holy God not to partake in a fast where your heart is not in it and where you are not truly, as Joshua said to his people, truly consecrating yourself. Because it will deceive you. It will begin to show uh, when the glory of God is released. And I know I've quoted this from, from a, a different preacher, but I, I, this phrase has stuck with me. That you know, when, the, when the glory of God, when the presence of God presses on a life, it will either solidify it in sanctification or it will crush it because it's not ready. Because God is already revealing true hearts. You are seeing it everywhere. That is what a line in the sand does. It reveals uh, the purity of a heart, and it exposes duplicity. We cannot serve God and mammon. We have to choose this day whom we will serve, and not just with false lip service that this scripture talks about. Do you think you're impressing the Lord by going through the emotions? Uh, the, the motions? It, it's, it's like people all across this nation that are showing up in church Sunday morning for a do-goodism, for, for reasons they may not even actually understand because they love community. They love being involved. And the Lord is saying, no, I want the true worshipers, like Jesus said to the woman at the well, worship in spirit and in truth. And so it's time for God to, it's just time for, for our hearts to be revealed. So I want to, I want to encourage you that, um, I just, my spirit so resonates with clearly the Holy Spirit placed that on Wendy's heart to, uh, to give us, and, and I was already, many of you, I, I know, I can feel that you were also seeking the Lord. We, we knew a fast was coming. We knew a fast was coming about something. We thought maybe it was about the nation, whatever. But the Lord um, is leading us into a very significant place. And I so agree that it's not just for warfare. Please don't enter into this from a place of defense, from a place of desperation yourself. Approach this with the, with the place of victory. Because... It isn't about magnifying what the enemy is doing. That's, he's not even worthy of our attention for that. Approach it from the greatness of our God. That's the last worship song that we sang. Great is the Lord. I mean, it's his breath in our lungs. So we're going to pour out his praise. And if there's one thing that burns the ears of the enemy, it's worship and praise to the Most High God. Because he, he trembles. You know, uh, we know there's so many songs about that. You make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus, you conquer fear. It's a beautiful thing. So such a great word. I'm very excited. And, um, and but remember, too, what it will look like. God's going to lead and, and fasts reveal our dependency on him. 
because fast is fasts are are the very essence of the surrender of the of our humanity because every day you get up and you you have to breathe you have to have some liquid and you have to have some food okay it's just it's part of the things you have to have now other people maybe would add some other things you have to have but i mean that's like a life sustaining thing and so when god asks for those things to be limited or eliminated whew, that shows you what you're made of that'll show you what you're made of and it allows everything of our flesh to get out of the way to see what god does but it's awesome many of us have experienced who God can be and parts of his nature that we would never normally be able to experience apart from a fast, apart from a time of a sacrificial dependency on him. It's a beautiful thing. And fasting used to scare me to death. I just thought, I just can't do this. But is Philippians 4.13 true at all for the believer? Do you know how many believers quote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And they never, ever find out if that's really true. Because they stay in the lane where I can do all things through me that strengthens me. They never get to find out what they can't do enough to find out who God is for them in those moments. So be excited. God wants to be so many things to us. So often we just don't let him. Because we're just more comfortable doing it ourselves. Thanks God. Got this one. Going to God. This is my agenda Lord. Will you just please bless it? And he wants it to be the other way. Because really, our prayers to him are quite small. He has, he wants to do wonders among us. He wants to show us we've been praying small prayers. And wants us to trust him for next level crazy. And uh, I'm, I'm excited about that. Let's pray. Father God, we love you, Lord. We thank you. God, we worship you. And even in saying that, Father, I, I feel like you want to really show us what a life of worship, a laid down life of being crucified with Christ really means. Not for sadistic reasons of misery, but for the glory, the glory that you want to reveal within us. Transforming us and renewing us. That according to your will is the exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever dare to ask or think. And you want to do that according to the power that worketh in us. God, we want that. And yet we do not even know what we ask. So God, I just pray that you would give us this soberness, Lord. Bring us into this knowing of you. Because as Paul said, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and to share in the fellowship of his sufferings God when we when we know that when we can just know who you are hear your voice know that you'll never leave us or forsake us then there's really no place we wouldn't step because we're in Christ so lord i pray that you'd give us just that additional um increase of our faith to just step to crush all doubt that in you, as Acts 17 says, we, li- we can live and move and have our being. Not in our humanity, but in the spirit with you. Seeking first your kingdom. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you. Thank you for this charge. Thank you for this word. God, we receive it. We receive it. In Jesus' name. Amen.